Welcome. Thanks for joining us. You'll notice in this episode that I really push the men to discuss the distinction between working with your mind versus working with your hands. And I do that, I think, because I feel some amount of guilt and shame over the fact that I am not especially good working with my hands. I think there are many young Christian men in the same boat. The problem is that a guy like that is then very susceptible to others who tell him that he has to hunt or build his own house or live on a farm if he's going to be a real man. Those things involve work that is very good, but those works do not define what it means to be a man. As we mentioned last week, the foundation of work is in the cultural mandate for us to take dominion over the earth, and there is absolutely a manly way to do that. But the essence of it is not in knowing how to program a computer or build a house, but rather in taking responsibility for yourself and for others out of love to them and love to God. And, of course, we live in a physical world, so that means you must be willing to tackle physical work when it comes your way cheerfully. And as Christians, we don't look down on physical work, we honor it. The conversation today is with Max Corral, Stephen Baker, and Tim Bailey. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. Okay, we keep talking about physical, and this is another thing I want to hit. We live in an information age. A lot of people do not work with their hands. And is working with your hands superior in some sense? So when I was at seminary one day, I was I would get every job I could. I wanted to work constantly, partly because I liked it, although it was hard. Yeah. And one of the jobs I signed up for was some guy was moving into the third floor of an old Victorian house and needed help bringing all of his family's furniture and everything up to the third. And we, it was an outside staircase and it was a bleeding hot day, just horribly. And there were two or three of us who had signed up to do that work that day. And one of them was an African and he was probably 10 to 15 years older than I was. So I would have been probably 28 and he would have been probably 45, but he'd come over to Gordon Conwell to get his degree. Right. And I mean, we're sweating. <laughs> we are sopping wet. Yeah. We are exhausted carrying this stuff up and down. We get inside the moving truck at one moment and he looks at me and he says, I can't wait to go back to Africa. And I look at him and I'm thinking, where did that come from? Hmm. And I said, why? And he said, I would never do work like this in Africa. Hmm. And that poor guy never knew what hit him <laughs> because I lit into him. I said, maybe that's why Africa is in the condition it's in. Yeah. <laughs> because I said, here in America, we honor work. We honor physical work. None of us has that kind of attitude. We look at it as a privilege to clean a toilet. <laughs> we believe in sweat. We believe in being tired. And I mean, I went off on him for quite a while. Whatever dignity he thought he would have in Africa, he lost before he returned. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but <laughs> go on. What, what mean we, white man? Well, don't you think that what Lucas said at the beginning is true, that Americans do work? I mean, if, if you think about the people who are, who are paid not to work, now we're getting mm. into politics. Well, that's what went through my mind. Like, the, the help wanted signs everywhere right now. Yeah. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work. 
In some ways, I wonder if we're not riding on the coattails of our fathers as a nation and the the hard times where they really stood up and did the thing that they needed to do, we haven't lived through. And yep. we're so yep. soft and expect everything to be handed to us and we're so entitled mm-hmm. that we just we that we don't have an idea about, you know, Tim talking to that African man, that's true. But I'm not sure that today you would hear that from very many people. Yeah, but wouldn't we say that again? I would. I don't care who it is if somebody is shameless in looking down on physical labor. I will absolutely trash them because that's what's wrong with America. I'm the youngest guy in this room. And I have I have a little bit of a uh, inferiority complex. You know, two of the men in this room have literally built their own house before. And so I have a little bit of an inferiority complex when it comes to mm-hmm. physical labor. And I think that's very common <laughs> with men of my age and down because, mm-hmm. I mean, bailing hay, like nobody's bailed hay. <laughs> Nobody does that. And so the scripture indicate teach us that physical labor is somehow superior to non-physical labor or is that distinction even a foolish one go ahead well i would i think i understand what you're saying and when tim was talking about elders toward the church i was thinking about this question and toward this question also because the fact is what we have today is is a a dearth of men who know how to be men and so i keep thinking about responsibility and how Mm. effeminacy makes men irresponsible and it isn't that you have to bail hay it isn't that this i was sitting here and earlier in the conversation and i was thinking about you know i wish that i know some men who are very very effeminate it would be great for them if they would go deer hunting or 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 kill a rabbit and gut it (laughs) and then i thought well that's a silly thing because, but then I thought, no, that's not really silly. But it's uh, not like you can take it like it's a like it's a a, a life goal and or or it's a, a, a the next point where you say, okay, now you go kill a, a rabbit and gut it, and then yeah. you, then you can have more responsibility. That's not it at yeah. all. But there is something real, very concrete about taking your food, taking a life of an animal, yeah. and then putting the food on the table and making it available to the people you're responsible for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact is that we don't have that concept because we don't have the concept of work. We don't have the concept of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so we need men who will take care of the household of faith. We need elders who will take care of the household of faith, but they have no concept how to be responsible for the littlest thing, mm. let alone maybe even taking care of their own family or having a family or having a wife. Mm-hmm. And then we want them to take care of the household of faith. And we, we've, we're way back here with so many young men because we don't have men who understand just responsibility. Mm. Who wrote that book, Created for Work? I can't remember his name. The Schultz. guy who wrote, yeah, Is that other Schultz? The- lessons for boyhood boys. and beyond yeah. yeah 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 but that little book is great it's just mm. created for work it's mm-hmm. great to give to young boys but we don't see them when they're young boys mm. often we see them after they come to us and they're and they're old boys mm. right they're old they're old irresponsible haven't haven't found a way to learn how to do the simplest thing mm-hmm. and you you put a shovel in their hand they don't even know it, how to use it. But it's not 
that's not what's important. Mm. The specific isn't important. It's the responsibility of whatever mm. needs to be done with the shovel. Mm. So they're incompetent and they're in <laughs> and they're non-confident about what needs to be done uh, maybe on any given thing. The yeah. rabbit the yeah. rabbit is just a rabbit trail maybe. Yeah. You know, but the <laughs> shovel is a rabbit trail. And they're just there's there are things that need to be done, and men need to have the confidence and the ability to get them done and take the responsibility for seeing them done. And then we can talk about the household of faith. Then we can talk about so many other things, right? But we're way back here when it comes to work. We're way back with so, with so the feminacy. You're thinking then that the key to work, particularly when you're talking to young men, you know, my age and down is really responsibility. Yeah, you have to take responsibility. What do you do but you you see something that needs to be done and you f you can figure it out. You can change your tire, you can go online, have yep, your phone yep. give you a step-by-step -step process. You can look that up for just about anything Just nowadays. about anything yeah. you want to see, including yeah. skinning a rabbit. Well, so you touched on a couple things there. One is you said the word confidence. Mm -hmm. but then there's also competence. And both of those things very manual, manly mm -hmm. characteristics. Now we're into the question of how to teach young people to work. And that's a discrete subject that I think we should give some serious time to, because if anybody listens to this and realizes the value we place on work mm -hmm. and that we're not lazy dogs, that's not why we're pastors, then they're going to say, oh, okay, so how do I teach my children to work? Mm-hmm. And you just made the distinction between confidence and competence. One of the marks of a child that's never been taught to work is when he becomes an adult. He does not know the distinction between competence and confidence. Mm -hmm. One of the problems we have today among young men is that all of them are supremely confident. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're absolutely <laughs> idiots. Mm -hmm. But they're confident uh, in being idiots and yeah. that that idiocy is a gift to mankind from them. I mean, really, it is that bad. Mm -hmm. So I want to tell a little story about one of my grandchildren. He lives near us, just down a couple houses, and he loves to work. And, and listen, some children love to work. Build on that. Keep them working because you want to build work into their identity that they take pride in. Well, let me just say real quick to that. My wife and I have both observed, and she reminds me of this sometimes, that when a kid has a responsibility for something, they just go at it. They, they love that sense of pride that, you know, they accomplished this or that or built. What ends up happening is that you don't want to ever find fault in his work because he's so proud of his work. Mm, and yeah. you're so proud that he's proud of working and that he loves working that you just don't want anything to be a blot on the joy that he yeah. takes in work and the joy you take in him taking joy in his work. And so Josiah came over and he loves to trim bushes. Yeah. And so we have a bunch of boxwood, maybe 25, 30 boxwood that needed trimming. And so Mary Lee said to him, Josiah, yes, you may go ahead. And he was aching to trim the boxwood, <laughs> right? And yeah. so Josiah trims the boxwood. Uh-huh. Well, he cuts our grass very well, but when he got done trimming the boxwood, he hadn't done it well. Well, I'm, I have a preferential option in my heart for Josiah. Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, you're just like, oh, no, should I tell him that he didn't do it well? Oh, no, I don't want to tell Josiah he didn't because then it'll discourage him. I don't want to. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is what parents go through all the time with their children, where they're trying to decide where it's their repressed, obsessive, compulsive, perfectionistic, unrealistic, fault findingness. Right. Right. (laughs) Or it's an investment in the future, humility, Mm -hmm. meekness, teachability, and excellence of the work of that child. Right. Okay. Whether it's a mother or dad. And so, what was the problem with Josiah's work? Well, we can let the people listening decide whether or not I was a good or bad grandfather. The problem with the work was that, for instance, he left the clipped twigs from the boxwood sitting on top of the boxwood bush so that in a few days, in the heat of the summer, the entire top of the boxwood bush was brown. Can we agree? And then he didn't bother doing the back of the boxwood so it was proportional to the front or even the sides. (laughs) The the top and the front were sort of trimmed sort of well. And then, of course, those that he did get off the boxwood were sitting on top of the mulch. And Mm. they were also brown instead of dark like the mulch. And so you have to explain to a child that he should not be supremely confident when he has done a job like that. And then you have to talk to him and tell him that he should be thankful that you're telling him that his job wasn't actually good work Mm -hmm. because he's going to be resentful. And so every time you deal with a child and teaching them work, you're not just dealing with the particular job he's doing. Mm -hmm. You're also dealing maybe more importantly with his posture towards his future employers, Mm -hmm. perfecting his helpfulness to them. Okay, buddy. And when you get into that area, then you as a parent think, you know, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is work that I would prefer not to do. Now, I want to tell the end of the story, which is I actually did end up talking. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want his parents being angry at me for doing it. So I went ahead and talked to him and Josiah received it very well Mm. now i'm not bringing this up so that everybody feels sorry for josiah and is happy that he took it well i'm bringing this up because josiah is every one of our children Mm -hmm. every one of our children has to have us not just committed to teaching them the joy of work the dignity of work the glorifying of god of work but we have to teach them to do the work of receiving correction and instruction with a humble attitude that really is why we don't teach our children to work mm-hmm. because we don't want to have to correct them and mm-hmm. see how they bristle and arch their back at correction right or yep. even doing the work of teaching them to do the work cuz that's a lot of work yeah it's <laughs> you know? much more difficult than just doing it yourself yeah. so you know, the, the issue I keep circling around is manual labor versus... Yeah, let me talk about that. Please. I don't think it has to be either or. Mm-hmm. So think of the Apostle Paul, who was a scholar, mm-hmm. you know, trained mm-hmm. under the top rabbi, knew the scriptures, knew how to write, knew how to think, knew how to read, knew how to talk. And he made tents with his hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was a... My understanding of the history of all that is that the rabbis all had a some kind of a manual labor job 
that they worked with yeah. their hands. Mm-hmm. That that was that would be the normal thing. And when he's talking to the, uh, I think it's in Ephesus, right? In Acts 20, where he says, with these own hands, mm. I provided. And you can just picture that. And scene. I haven't been a burden to you. And I haven't, mm-hmm. I've worked, and he could, you can imagine what his hands must have looked like, mm-hmm. given the work he, he had to do. His, you know, he's not sewing nylon on a, on a, uh, on a sewing machine, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. making tents, whether it's with skin or with felt or whatever. You, I don't know why they made tents, but I mean, this is. It was a very physically involved yeah. job, no doubt. Yeah. And when he held out his hands and said, with these hands, they mm-hmm. would not have been soft hands. So I think you can have it, and this is, gets back to the difference between employment and work. You can mm-hmm. have employment. That is, our employment around this table is thinking, reading, writing, arguing, praying, arguing, visiting, teaching, wrestling yeah. with people, but not physically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, teaching, bearing the weight, hearing the confessions, doing, having difficult conversations. That doesn't mean we don't, we shouldn't be able to or have to or take advantage of the fact that it's really great to be able to actually physically labor as well. In other words, it's, yeah, I, I can't I, imagine having a job like this and not being able to work, work. Can I talk just a second about this? Because I wonder whether what you're trying to get at Lucas is not something different than what I'm thinking. It sounds to me like you're trying to compare and contrast men that work with their hands for a living and men that work with their mouths or Mm -hmm. typing or coding or something like that for a living. Yeah. And I don't know this is true, but I suspect the four of us would think that we would have trouble respecting any man who worked typing or doing coding or speaking for a living and did not cultivate physical work outside of his gainful employment on mm. some level. Right. I would suspect that all of us don't quite respect the sedentary man who just says, well, I don't know how to do those things and I just don't do them and sits and watches football or... Well, but wait, that's not the alternative. The alternative is I don't do those things, but I do other kinds of work. That's another alternative. Like what? Like... Well, you know, let's take a coder, mm-hmm. you know, he writes software and then, you know, maybe he doesn't sit and watch football games, but Plays maybe he writes. Games. No, 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 <laughs> no, seriously. Maybe he writes or talks to people or I don't know what. I think there's something about men being, I think there's something built into us that we, it's good for us to figure I, out how to do things. Can I try to answer my own question? Uh, because yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think those men don't exist, but really, the way. Yeah, I think they do. Not men who do gainfully fill their, not gainfully, not men who as a principle do not work physically. Okay. Well, that's, that's, I think my point, that's where I was headed because I think if you have a principle of not working physical, physically, then you have a problem. And and I think you have an equal problem with intellectuals that fixate and have romantic notions about moving into the country and going Mm -hmm. agrarian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do you do if you live in, you know, Manhattan and you live on the 30th floor of, uh, you know, and you work on Wall Street or in a bank or in some kind of executive? And so what do you do? Aquaponics. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> or you clean, right, or exactly. you have a handicapped child who you're lifting up and setting down and moving and changing diapers for and constantly physically working. And people in your home see you physically cleaning the table up mm-hmm. in the kitchen with your wife. In other words, I'm, I want to come back and say, any of us sitting at this table, if we had a friend who never lifted a physical finger, mm-hmm. even if he worked hard on his computer to serve other people and did right. stuff like that and read books and stuff. That's right. Would right. we respect him the way we respected a man who did have the ability of failing at putting a shelf up in the custodian's closet? <laughs> right. Now, now, easy now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you remember uh, that episode. Of course I remember that episode but, very painfully well. <laughs> but Lucas, the fact was... That's, that's, I think, exactly right. I think a guy has to have a willingness. There's a number of ways you can come at this. You think of what it meant to be a man maybe in the 50s. Like, that would mean you know how to work on your car. Like, mm-hmm. maybe you know, I don't know what. Um, there's certain things that make being a man, certain competence, confidence about particular things. And nowadays, the world is, I don't know, blown up in such a way that like you can be competent and confident about any number of things, huge variety of things. But we do a couple things with that. One, you know, you could be terrified and think like, okay, I need to be competent in everything, which of course is impossible and you'll, mm-hmm. you'll die under that weight. Or, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, will post on Facebook about how they did this or that amazing thing. Like, they, mm-hmm. I don't know, they brew their own beer or they go hunting or, mm-hmm. but it, it's not actually a manly thing that they're demonstrating it's actually a very effeminate thing and why now hold on Mm -hmm. get into that well it's effeminate because i think what it lacks is the attitude that i was trying to get at which is i'm here ready to do whatever comes my way i'm going to take responsibility for my family for my car whatever it is that's happening so those manly arts hunting right um Fixing your house, things, shooting fixing things, working yeah. on your car, shooting those, those used to be necessary to eat. <laughs> yeah. To have a house with a roof over my head. Yeah. Now that all that necessity has gone away. So they come back in the form of like rituals that we do to make ourselves feel like men, but they're all about me. They're not about my hmm. family, hmm. me going hunting. I mean, some people, I mean, a lot of people obviously put a lot of meat on the, <laughs> in the freezer. And that's sure, what I, sure. I mean, this but, yeah. that kind of hunting that is all about me taking a picture of myself hunting right, right. with the cigar and the and the glass of bourbon and the magnificent mountain 12 sheep, point whatever. Whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And the and the $3,000 rifle and yeah. I'm a man. Right. It's like, no, you're just a role player. You're a role player. You're LARPing. I have a brother. He likes to go out and hunt and he is romantic about Mm-hmm. the morning dawning oh, yeah. and he'll kill something and he'll eat it, but he doesn't post it on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he doesn't need to. Right. And I, and I often will laugh at people who will do that because I don't, I don't have the connection. You know, if I want to see the, the magical dawn, I'll just go out, look at it. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I need to go experience it and that'd be yeah. great. But the fact is I laugh and I say, okay, I know what you did. You took a week off of work and maybe paid, maybe not paid. <laughs> and then you, you spent $900 on guns and camo clothing and all this and i just say do you know you're in to put on yourself (laughs) do you know 
and and that's every year. Yeah. I yeah. said, I said, do you know how much ninety percent lean ground <laughs> Angus beef you could buy for nine hundred dollars and put in your freezer? <laughs> And, yeah. but I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't mind that they go hunting though, because no. I think I have my guilty pleasures. Sure. I think yeah. that's just a guilty Hobbies pleasure. Hobbies are important. But I think what you're saying is absolutely true. The fact is we've moved away from the time when they need to know these things. Yeah. And then we're, we're like signaling to everybody yeah. our masculinity yeah. through them when right. they have really nothing to do with being yeah, responsible listen. or right. carrying can I responsibility. Just, can I just add right. one other thing before you go? <laughs> because I, th- I think that actually one of, one of the important things in, in our time, <laughs> these guys are dying. This is, where, this is where there being no video of this. It's, just, <laughs> it's too bad. It's, it's just, too bad. Because you can't see the eyes rolling or anything. Uh, well, okay. In my own experience, you know, if I'm taking responsibility for my home and my, my cars, my family, one of the things I have to learn as a man is like, okay, when is it time to call the plumber? You know, yeah. when is it time for me to try to do this myself versus to call the plumber? And in my experience, my, my time to call the plumber was when there was water pouring down, you know, in my basement because I of the fix that I tried to do, you mm, know, good call. <laughs> it's a good call, right? <laughs> Go ahead, Tim. This brings so many memories back to me. And I want to deal with this whole agrarian thing. Mm -hmm. Work that's true work and manly work is never aspirational. And I remember when there was a movement going through our church to buy a certain $900 grinder, electric grinder for for women that made bread. Mm -hmm. And I mean, everybody Uh, had to have that specific grinder. Wow! Because somehow in our church, it had become defined that you had to grind your own grain. Mm. You couldn't buy flour. <laughs> you had to grind your own. And to do that, you had to have a $900 grinder. Yeah. And there was a couple we were friends with. They came over for lunch one Sunday. And the wife was a very meek and humble, sweet, sweet woman. Mm-hmm. But I was so incensed that they were so poor, so poor. Mm. They lived in an apartment, you know, and had nothing to call their own. But somehow she had been intimidated into, now she would say, no, no, I made that decision myself. Well, Mm. we all know the difference between a woman saying she made that decision for herself and a woman who really did make that decision for herself. Mm. So anyhow, we're sitting waiting for lunch. And I looked at her, and let's say her name is Debbie. And I said, so, Debbie, I heard that you got a grinder. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She talked about it a little bit, and I let her hang herself by talking about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we both knew how much it costs. It was almost $1,000, you know. And and then I looked at her with a big smile on my face, and I said, so, do you weave your own toilet paper, too? (laughs) Now, why would I do such a thing? And you look at how all across the reform, conservative reform church today, agrarianism is. Oh, yeah. Huge. And you think about how many people are just so tickled pink with themselves that they have a chicken coop. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And that they don't eat any, and that they eat this, and that they have raised bed gardens. Mm-hmm. and that they don't use pesticides and that they heat with their own wood that they've split from their own. Blah, 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 blah. Now yep, listen, yep, yep. I am being 
utterly intense about this. And the reason is I grew up in the hippie generation. And if people today who are agrarian think they have anything on us, they don't. Because I grew up among people who were educated middle class and decided that they were going to be agrarian and, and be a part of an intentional Christian community. Yeah. And I remember going to a farm of my brother-in-law and his wife where they had decided they were going to be farmers. He'd gone to the Milwaukee School of Design, mm -hmm. <laughs> but he was going to be a farmer. And I remember him telling me one day, and so he, we raised, we had dairy goats, like 70 of them. We milked them by hand, okay? We, we used no chemicals on the property. Well, he had the best apple orchard for half an hour in every direction. Mm. He ruined that apple orchard mm. by having a principle that he wasn't going to spray the trees. Right. <laughs> and all the locals were angry at him, <laughs> okay? And that man one day was asked to come over and help one of the dairy farmers in the area because he was having trouble with a cow calving. So he goes over and the man says, stand behind her. Uh. And he, he hooked up a chain to the calf and hooked the chain up to the loader on the front of his tractor. And he pulled that cow out of uh, that calf out of that cow. And he came home and he described how he had no idea how that cow was going to hit him. He was a strong, strong man. And when that cow came out, it just splattered him onto the concrete <laughs> underneath. I mean, the cow hit him so hard, he <laughs> fell down. The cow fell on top of him. And then oh. the farmer yelled at him for not catching the cow. <laughs> Another time, a man who also grew up in Wheaton and decided he was going to be agrarian, right? Yeah, and he yeah. had a pig that he let get like twice the size that any pig should be allowed to get before it's taken to market. And he asked Peter and me to come over and help him load this pig up onto the back of his pickup truck. And so he has this, uh, what would you call it? Not chicken wire, but heavier. So you know, it's like, the same thing, like but welded heavier. wire type welded wire, thing, yeah. and he has a, a you know like thirty feet of it, and we get it around this pig, and then slowly try to walk this wire up to the back of the pickup, right? And the pig just keeps butting against the well. The pig, how how much? It was probably four hundred and fifty five hundred pounds at least. And if he so much touched the wire in front of me, I was moving. The pig wasn't moving. I only weighed one hundred and sixty five pounds, you know. And finally, after hours of trying to get this pig into the back of the pickup, this man who thought he was agrarian was reduced to taking a pitchfork mm. and absolutely savagely attacking that pig to try to get it to go up. Now, what was the problem here? Well, the problem was that the work of my brother-in-law and the work of this man was aspiration. Yeah, it's romance. Mm. Yeah. And they thought that they were getting back to the land, Woodstock, right? Where, mm. you know, back we are garden. recovering the dignity of man by engaging in work that involves the feces of animals <laughs> and and the killing of blood and the and the knitting of toilet paper and the grinding of grain. Me, man, me, woman. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And yet we, all four of us agree that a man 
should be handy with his hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's going on, Max? You've lived this. You know what I'm talking about. One of the beautiful things you have to know about Max that you wouldn't know is Max actually grew up on a farm. Right. Taking care of horses and fighting with his brothers. Yeah. So in other words, not, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so Max actually has no aspirations yeah, for agrarianism. Yeah. All right. And I wonder how you look at all this question of working with your hands. How do you view it? Well, I think it's, I think it's good for young men to learn how to work with their hands. And I think that there is, there's something behind it. I have on a couple of occasions since I've lived here taken young men whose fathers were absent and tried to teach them how to change the oil in their car. Right. But in doing that, I didn't really have the expectation that they would live their lives changing the oil in their mm. car. But I wanted them to feel the the reality of it so that they could get to the place where there where something was presented to them that they had to do and that they would believe they could get through and do it or that there was a responsibility for them that they had to fulfill and they could get it done Mm -hmm. okay so you have a family and you know our dishwasher quit working this week okay Mm -hmm. i don't work on dishwashers very often right yeah but when i do (laughs) (laughs) and so i i get on the internet and i find the parts and i you know i i'm thinking it's one of two things and i'm taking i'm taking a calculated risk well, that, that everybody I've, should know that you live on a a concrete pad. And so those of you that have homes that have <laughs> stories and wood floors, be very careful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. And so, uh, but there was, it's something present. I can call the plumber. Yeah. I could call somebody to come and do it. And then, but then I want to be cheap. Yeah. Or I want to save some money save or I want, money, yeah. but really what I want to do is I want to say to my wife, there you go. I, I can it. do that. I fixed that yeah, for yeah, you. It's yeah. fixed, yeah, right? Yeah. And so I ordered the stuff, and it's not coming in until tomorrow. We'll see what happens. We'll know the rest of the story. But that men can actually think about those kinds of responsibilities, not look at their wives and say, "Well, honey, I, you better get the you better get the dishwasher fixed." Yeah. See, that's so. We talked earlier about competence and confidence. confidence. Yeah. Yeah. There is really something to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think I'm not talking about the the arrogant superficial confidence that you talked mm-hmm. about before mm-hmm. or, or, you know, that they think they're competent because they thought something that was, that they read somewhere or whatever. There's a, this kind of a whole approach to life when a man or a young man says grows in his ability to take risk because he has actually tried to do something. Mm-hmm. It's and it so worked. important. It's so important. You know, I actually was able to learn something new today and it mm-hmm. worked and it wasn't rocket science and it, and I actually could, and then that, but that translates into something else in, in your life as a man that, okay, mm-hmm. I can take risk. I can put myself out there, learn something new, grow, stretch, you know, but I, and that's, that's better. That's good for you as a man, regardless of whether you do this for a living or spend your life raising chickens or any of that kind of stuff. What I think if there's any young men listening to this, that they have to hear though is the number of times you men tried something and it actually 
didn't work. And they don't understand that. They, they listen to you. They think, wow, he's got oh, it all together. Yeah, okay, what am I going to go bury my head in the ground? No. How many times, <laughs> how many times have you, have you done this? How many times have you spent $300 <laughs> yeah. on the problem, but you didn't check the fuse, the fuse. Uh. <laughs> and I mean, to think about to where I get to the point in my life now where I look at young people and I say, all right, start with the easiest thing. Right. <laughs> start with what it probably is. It's probably the simplest is little thing. Is, is, it, it, is, yes, it, is it plugged in? And how often that's the reality. Yeah, but yeah. you learn from the, all yeah. of those lessons. Yeah. You learn. The, the okay. example in, in, in my own life is, you know, I, I had one experience where my wife's uh, mixer, what are those things called? KitchenAid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually was able to order a part, fix it, and it's still working. It's, it's years ago that I fixed it, and it's still working. That's like a victory, right? Mm-hmm. On, on another case, I literally took apart our washing machine. Every like The whole thing was splayed out everywhere. I had the parts, and finally... I just gave up because mm. there was there was nothing doing. There was something I don't know. I don't remember what it was, but I realized yeah. this road Beyond is you. done, yeah. <laughs> and I had to return. Actually, I had to return the parts, throw the washing machine away, and buy a new one. Yeah. There you go. I want to get back at this confidence competence issue mm-hmm. because I absolutely agree with you that failure is the privilege of every old man, let alone every young man. Mm -hmm. And I continue to fail at my age. And it's such a gracious thing of God that he forgives sins. Mm -hmm. And that is our God, he forgives sins. If any man lacks wisdom, what a mask of the Lord who provides it bountifully and without finding fault. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, failure is the nature of the life of Adam, of man. And every young man needs to be given the privilege of failing. Hmm. And bad fathers do not allow their sons to fail. Hmm. And by that, I don't mean that their sons don't fail. What I mean is Hmm. that they're berating of him and yelling at him and anger at him Hmm. teaches him the lesson that they better not try something unless they can ace it. Mm-hmm. All right, because otherwise they're going to have their dad coming down on them. And women, mothers, mothers who are the heads of their home are even worse in removing any willingness to take risks in their sons. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a horrible thing. But I want to get back at the issue of men who are confident, who have no reason to be confident. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to deal with the difference between wanting your son to have confidence to fail. That that's what he's supposed to do. Be confident in your failure. Sin boldly. Try big projects that you'll fail at. Be confident that that's the nature of young manhood, of boyhood. Mm -hmm. Fail. But then today we have so many men who will not admit they failed, who will not allow anybody to teach them, Mm -hmm. who will not be humble, who will not be meek. But don't you and think, they're so confident in all of it. Don't you think those men don't even try? Uh, I was trying to think of the distinction between those two things, you know, the the, the confidence to try even though you're, you're No, we something. have men who get on our ZTR <laughs> and are supremely confident <laughs> and just destroy the machine and are not even ashamed of it. Let's be honest here. Okay. And David and I are ashamed for them, but they're not ashamed. How do they get that way? 
What did they not have? I think they never had a father that yelled at them constructively. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, there's berating, and there's just, are you kidding me? You did that. Mm -hmm. And that teaches a child to be ashamed of making mistakes on some level. My dad, years ago, was reading The New Yorker, and he came across an article where a guy talked about playing in a softball league. And in the softball league, he said that most of the men, when they made an error, never apologized to the team for the error. And the whole article, it was just short, but the whole article was a meditation on the glory of the man that said to his teammates, that's on me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so my dad wrote an article about this in the church, how few men are willing to say, that's on me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he got a, a, a personal letter from Garrison Keeler. It hadn't been a signed piece in the New Yorker, but it was Garrison Keeler who had written it. Oh, fun. And so Garrison Keeler said, you know, when I was growing up, I used to just love reading you, Joe. <laughs> and I'm so proud that you quoted me in your article, you know. <laughs> oh, funny. Well, think about that. He grew up in a closed Plymouth Brethren church mm. up in the north, upper Midwest, I think, in Minnesota. And he has this awareness that Christians are to be known by our confession of sin. Well, isn't it true that teachability and shame at bad mistakes and stuff mm. like that, they don't destroy your confidence in making mistakes. They don't teach you you shouldn't make mistakes. But they teach you that when you make mistakes, you should be teachable. Yeah, that you should love the correction. And yeah, and you have to have a sense of you have to have a sense of responsibility for what you do. And mm. you I think that it requires some empathy. And you learn empathy through life and through lessons. Uh, one of my grandchildren said to me this past week, Well, Papa, I'm sorry when children say on accident. Mm. You know yeah, yeah. the next words oh, are yeah. on accident. And I'm sorry, on accident, I got some pencil on your wall. (laughs) And I I said, and I said, okay. I said, that's all right. I said, uh, let me ask you something for a second. I said, um, if somebody's driving down the road, no, first I said, I said, there's, there's a difference between an accident and negligence. Mm -hmm. No, what's, do you know what negligence is? (laughs) No, no, I don't know what, what is that? And I said, I said, uh, I said, if, if a person is driving down the road and they're they're texting on their phone, yeah. and they crash into somebody, I said, what is that? And he said, negligence. <laughs> <laughs> now you know what it means. But 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 see, that's the kind of thing that lots of kids are mm. just raised, and they're not responsible to think. Mm. that they actually were responsible for mm-hmm. damaging the wall with their pencil and ra- rather than just oh that's an accident from the very beginning you have to work with kids i mean my youngest kids you know i didn't mean to you know all that in an, an age when there are no winners and there are no losers and everybody gets a participation award yeah how do children learn uh, the lessons of life that they need to learn. Mm-hmm. How do they learn how to empathize? How do they learn how to be gracious in winning? Mm-hmm. How do they learn how to be gracious in losing? How do they learn how to do any of these things when nobody has the expectation of them to do it? Mm-hmm. You were asking the question. 
I think, yeah. what was going on. And I'm yeah. just, mm-hmm. it's a difficult task. Mm-hmm. We've talked a long time about work, but I want to bring it back to the question of work and rest. We've already talked as pastors, Sunday is an exhausting day, actually. Mm-hmm. But then even we have elders, and we actually call our elders to be shepherds. Well, you know? our elders are shepherds. It used to be we called them to it. We don't even have to anymore. Yeah, yeah, they, they do that work. They do that work. <laughs> and so, hard work. So they're working all throughout the week as well, and then they come on Sunday, and then they work. And then you think of mothers. The work of a mother is never done, right? They work from when they get up to when they go to bed. Sun to sun. That's right. So wait a second. I thought uh, Sunday was supposed to be a day of rest, but I, I have to get my kids all ready to go to church. We go to church, and then I have to get ready for a small group, and that's, you know, nice, but it's exhausting also, and then, then we start again on Monday. So what is, what is that work rest? What are we supposed to get from that? Or, or are we doing something wrong? Fairly regularly, I'm sure we're doing something wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to that because you have the the literal rest that our bodies need and our, mm-hmm. that we need in our lives, and you really have the rest of of coming to God and giving him the service of worship corporately that we need to do. And you also have the, the way that that is a placeholder for the great rest that no longer do we work to gain God's approval or, mm. or that we, that we cease mm-hmm. from our attempt to gain God's approval by our own uh, mm-hmm. fulfillment of his law but that we actually find the rest in jesus christ and Take we have my, the spiritual yeah. sabbath rest that we get through jesus christ mm-hmm. which which it's to me it's going to be very hard to understand if you've never been tired mm. physically yeah or spiritually it, it'd be very hard to understand having the rest of christ come upon you mm-hmm. without having the fatigue of of, mm. of your own attempted toil Mm-hmm. I mean, don't you, when, when somebody's preaching and they're declaring to you and they just basically remove all of your, uh, what do you call those props? Mm-hmm. All your props have been pulled away mm-hmm. and you're listening to the preacher and he's pulled away all your props and you're there and the Holy Spirit is there and God's mm-hmm. word is there. And suddenly you're confronted. I got absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. wretched man that i am who will rescue me from the body of this death as hard as i work i'm crap i don't know what to do mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. will save me yeah and, and then, then you find relief there's rest <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. and then you just go oh yes and it's this and it's mm-hmm. it's the sweet kind of gift of god mm-hmm. through christ that he that he washes uh, washes mm-hmm. us that he says you know, he says, no, yeah, you get it. You don't have any righteousness. Mm-hmm. I had to provide it for you. Here it is. It's in Jesus, my son. Mm-hmm. When I think about this question, I think about a quote that uh, Tim often says, uh, no man is a hypocrite in his pleasures, mm-hmm. right? And then who was that? Is that Samuel Johnson? Or? It's Johnson. Johnson, yeah. Okay. And I think it it does tie back to this this thing I read by Peeper. Do you find the worship of God restful? Mm-hmm. Are, are you able? And one of the points he makes in the mm-hmm. book is actually there's a kind of man who is incapable of rest. He's incapable. And I think it was, you know Martha, Martha, mm-hmm. here I am, Christ, 
Jesus has arrived in your home, and it's your opportunity for rest. And here you are busying yourself. And I and I think that you know you you alluded to to it earlier also, Tim, when you talked about our frenzy to entertain ourselves. That is a big part of why, if we're going to be honest and look at ourselves, why we do not find the things of God restful, because we are actually in a frenzy to find our rest in other things. I'm not saying that that if you feel tired at the end of a Sunday because you've been moving all day long and you've got a lot of kids and that's, oh man, now I've got myself in a corner here. I don't know how to get out, but that's like understandable. And yet these discussions are what we do every week on Tuesday from about 11 o'clock until about two o'clock in the afternoon. So this precise thing that we're doing right now Hmm. is something that we've spent what more than a decade doing weekly. And it is where you feel a tension between what you know the truth is, but what you act on, mm. or attention and understanding a truth that seems to have a competing truth, or you feel a malaise or a sickness or a disease <laughs> or a defect somewhere, and you can't put your finger on. So you say, I feel like I'm backing myself into a corner, and since it's a podcast, that's obviously a failure yeah. because you're yeah. the host. Yeah. <laughs> and so you should be solving our problems. I want to try to tie this up here. We're supposed to be done in 10 minutes. I read, or I should say, I listened to all 45 hours of Boswell's Life of Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I realized that this is one of the rests that nobody realizes they need today, mm. which is sitting around with men. We don't have alcohol at this table. And we don't have tobacco at this table. And our wives don't resent us doing this. Those are the three things you have to do to have rest as men. Your wife has to resent what you're doing. You have to be with other men. You have to be smoking and you have to be drinking alcohol. <laughs> you know, Because those are rituals that we do surrounding disagreements where we are free to express our opinion and to fail and to have other men improve it. And so I just want to stop right here and celebrate you saying, I feel like I backed. No, you're helping us. You're showing the incompatibility of various viewpoints that have been set at this table. So don't apologize for it there. So what is the conflict that you feel? Well, the conflict is the exhaustion you feel at the end of the day, of a day that's that's supposed to be, according to God's word, a day of rest. Well, but again, does rest mean inactivity? I mean, sometimes, yes. Let me just Always? answer. No, no. Because you can you can certainly be find, like you said, you, you know, physical labor can be restful. Going on a hike can be restful. Some people go camping because they want to rest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Almost no. always white-collar workers. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, so is it, can, can rest be a change, a complete change of I do think that's, pace, a change of the kind of work you're doing? Okay. So Sunday is work, but it's a different kind of work. Mm-hmm. It's the work mm-hmm. of fellowship. It's the work of worship. It's the work of confessing our sins and being with one another and bearing each other's burdens. I mean, that's, of course, that's work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean going and sitting in your living room and doing watching, nothing. Yeah, but, or watching football or something. But it has a wonderful focus. And what it gives to us, I this is a quote I, 
I found from Calvin. And it's from Bernard of Clairvaux. <laughs> because Sunday Clairvaux. we focus on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And on our, our Heavenly Father. And he says, quote, The name of Jesus is not only light, but food also. Yea, oil, without which all the food of the soul is dry. <laughs> Salt, without which, as a condiment, whatever is set before us is insipid. Finally, <laughs> honey in the mouth, melody <laughs> in the ear, joy in the heart, and at the same time, medicine. Every discourse where this name is not heard is absurd. <laughs> Isn't that a fantastic quote? And, and we come together as the church, and so much of what I enjoy, you were talking about the staff time, Tim, mm-hmm. but I so enjoy, and I do enjoy that, mm-hmm. but I so enjoy my small group. Mm-hmm. Because I sit with other believers and we're there because of Christ. And I often will think about the disparity between who I'm sitting with, mm-hmm. uh, this, this, this group of people, yeah. and that, that, that we have come together to rest. Mm. I don't think it's just a change of scenery or occupation. I think it's also a resistant to trans transaction Mm. Hmm. my brother nathan was very helpful in saying to me that the man who doesn't tithe and the man who doesn't observe the sabbath does not trust god with his time or his money yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's huge and i know that heather would tell us she was the only student up at taylor university who did not study on sundays Mm -hmm. i often used to say to asians who came to our church as Mm -hmm. students that they should not study on Sundays because Asians are just absolute perfectionists with the discipline of study. Mm -hmm. And they feel guilty from coming to church, let alone going to a small group afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to realize that God is capable of blessing us by us giving him money and time. The faith that the manna will be there. Yeah, open that up because I don't think people even know it. Well, the Israelites were told, you gather the manna for six days. On the seventh day, there won't be any manna. So on the sixth day, you gather twice as much as you'll need. I'll make sure there's twice as much there. You gather enough for the seventh day. And unlike all the other days, it won't rot on the sixth day like like it would on the other days. So... And people that didn't trust, what happened? People that didn't trust went out looking for manna mm-hmm. on the seventh day, and there wasn't any manna. And so what they were trying to do was just work the system, work the system, work the system, right? And what they what they got was, you're not getting it at all. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Mm-hmm. I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll make sure that you have money. I'll make sure that you have your lawn will get mowed. I'll make sure that, 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 you know, trust me, mm-hmm. trust me, trust in my work. And it's only a placeholder finally for trusting him with the big thing. That's right. And that is the, the final disposition of our souls where we are yeah. with him. And if you think you're willing to trust God with your sins, but you're not willing to trust him with your money or your time, (laughs) you're probably a liar. 
So as we wrap up our discussion of work, it comes down to this. In your work, are you motivated by pride and vanity? Or are you motivated by love to God and love to man? And when it comes to rest, do you find your rest in Christ Jesus? Because you will not be able to work in faith or rest in faith unless you do. In fact, you will not be able to rest at all unless you find your rest in Christ Jesus. Remember Christ's words in Matthew, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey, Max Corral, and Stephen Baker. Tim, Max, Stephen, and I serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.